My name is Jimmy, sometimes Jimmy J, and sometimes Shay. This is a podcast about human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. So, hello, welcome to episode 84 of the Twilight Conversations. 84, episode 84. Just convincing myself, reminding myself. Okay, so, um... I want to thank everyone for the feedback and the comments. Before I get into that, um, sad news, even though I knew through friends of mine that he was dying, uh, the amazing Oliver Brown um, passed away during the week. So this will be Thursday, so it would have been probably be a week. Uh, when you get this, it'll be a week he'll be passed. So he was 94, grand old age. But for those of you who don't know, I mean, kind of is a household name. Um, in the world of psychiatry, psychotherapy, mental health, he was groundbreaking, risk taker, uh, way ahead of the posse from the 60s uh, all the way through, um, you know, very much. Uh, challenged the, the the current status quo in psychiatry. Um, uh, got a lot of pushback. Would remind me a little bit of um, the the great Glaswegian uh, ther- psychiatrist therapist R. D. Lang. Very very controversial, but really really cared about clients or patients, and began to challenge the mental health models. And Ivor Brown, along with others, particularly him, a very charismatic character. Uh, very uh, flawed, beautifully flawed like anyone else. So I'm not here saying the man didn't do anything wrong in his life. Of course he did. But I don't think he ever hid from that. That was one of the many likeable, lovable, lovable things about him. Um, he was very much himself. I don't know if he'd be everyone's cup of tea, but no one's everyone's cup of tea all of the time. But just in terms of his contribution, you know, uh, his understanding of human suffering, human potential, hope, growth, change, spirituality. The list would go on. Um, very quirky character, very interesting. I'd meet him that often. My friends, close friends who are really good friends of 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 him and were with him uh, right up to the de- to his death. Um, but the couple of times I met him, he was very quirky. I remember saying this recently. I had spiky hair at the time. Um, and... One of the first things he said to me, he just walked over and ran his fingers through her hair and said, I like her hair. <laughs> I just liked him immediately. He was quite a quirky and funny. Good teacher. He was on the course giving a, a lecture on something. Um, but he probably would have been, he's known for lots of stuff, right? And and listen, whatever about publicly, there are a lot of human beings in this country and other countries who are in better places in themselves, thanks to Ivor Brown. Let's, let's make that clear. I and, mean, you know, a lot of them would be private and quiet. Um, now, he was involved in the controversial, I suppose, area back in the, I would imagine it would have been mid, late 80s. I could go back even earlier. He would really introduce Groff's work, um, holotropic breath work, that style of work. And he was in Brendan's at the time in the old church. And he was, exp- he was an experimental type of therapist risk taker and some people thought that was controversial you know because the as Groff did originally they were using um, LSD and ketamine and different types of drugs with really really psychotic patients or wounded patients because 
just to see maybe it would break through, you know, and, and, and down on the mattress and the loud music and all that. Now, there's lots of variations of that, of course, you know, uh, different ways to do experiential breath work. But um, I suppose because of where he was doing it and at the time he was doing it, it wasn't without his criticisms and controversies. And I'm not saying he got it right. I have no idea. But I think the intention was really good. And I think a lot of good came from it. Um, uh, there may be people who have different experiences. So I'm not really here to get into that particular piece at the moment. Uh, but that was like way ahead. That opened the door to... Uh, experiential work yeah, more spiritual transpersonal the crossover into psychotherapy psychiatry which would be unheard of and and there would be psychiatrists who would still be kind of going that's all nonsense that Ivor brown stuff you know but he, he was a giant among giants literally because he's a big big man but a huge personality enormous uh, his body of work um reza was reminding me because i think we quoted Reza quoted him recently in one of my podcasts, The Unexperienced Experience. That's what he was working with, like trauma frozen in the body and consciousness and that stuff. Anyway, there was so much more to him, loads that I don't know about him. Um, other people will, I'm sure the tributes will be flying in. There may be, I would hope there isn't too much criticisms, um, but they'll be well uh, overrun by uh, the, the positive effect both on individuals and influencing people's ways of work and ways of just seeing the world. At least he was asking the question, is this the right way to do it? Is this really helpful to do it? Could we look at other ways to do it? You know, because some people play safe. And I know you've got to be safe with human beings. I get that because the other argument is, well, you can't play with people's lives. Of course. But like people I've been talking about, Freud, Jung, Fritz Perls, they took enormous risks with people to, to have what we have. And I think they got it wrong sometimes. So all scientists or therapists, experimenters, whatever, will, will do that. But we, we just hope people don't do that recklessly. They do it with compassion and with care. Um, my experience of him was always that way. Very quirky, though, a bit odd in, a, in the most lovely way, you know. Uh, anyway, that's the late, great Ivor Brown, giant of a man, will be missed by many for sure. Uh, and... Again, I, I could begin to, to say his contribution to mental health systems, uh, as I said, bringing, opening up the area to other ways to work, uh, spiritual systems, you know. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, at least he was kind of naming, look, hang on a minute, there's room for this here. He was big into his own spiritual meditation practice and so forth. Um that's Ivor Brown. God rest your soul, Ivor. Okay. And I also learned, I don't know whether they knew each other, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, excuse me, because I think Ivor's reach was very far in terms of people he'd come in touch with. I also want to pay tribute to the wonderful, the mystical, distinct, cute, quirky, 60s, 70s, soulful. She didn't like being called a hippie, even though she was absolute hippie chick. Melanie Safka, no more as Melanie. Uh, she died during the week as well, age 76. And that really hit me because also because I, I kind of felt I knew her through her music. Her music I was aware of since pff, 1970s, since I was about 10. It became more meaningful to me later on. I'm going to be focusing on one of her tunes a little later on. Uh, because it ties in with dreams. This is dreams part two, by the way. Yeah, 
Welcome to episode 84 of Dreams Part 2. But uh, so Melanie passed away, um, sadly, and uh, she was very much into human development, human relationships. Her song was all about communication, peace, love, finding other ways to be, you know, um, very distinct voice, kind of a vibrato style of unusual voice. Not, not everyone's cup of tea, singing wise, but I think everyone liked what she was about. Um, I loved her, and through very dark times during the 80s of self-doubt and loneliness, Melanie was a constant company. I had a, a lovely, it was vinyl, big double album at the time. Um, was it the best of Melanie? I had a lot of her other albums, and I'd listened to that quite a lot because she had a way of soothing your soul, but also acknowledging your pain and loneliness and giving you hope, as, as musicians do, and that not that into the dream space as well. Um, you know, songs like Close to It All and she actually has a quirky song about psychotherapy. I think I quoted that in a in a, a podcast before. Uh, also, uh, Beautiful People and Look What They've Done to My Song. Uh, very, very clever, you know, like, and of course, there's lots of metaphors there. Her song is like her brain or her soul. She's talking about that experience when you have a piece of work or you do something and, and, and you show it to people and they mess it all up, you know. That's at the mild end, but there also could be darker undertones of abuse, you know. They picked it like a chicken bone and I think I'm half insane, ma. Look what they've done to my song. What I'll do now that I'm doing the uh, the kind of bibliography kind of at the end, I, I'll name one or two of the Manly songs, but I'll just, there'll be a greatest hits, I'll name the best of Manly where you'll, if, if you're interested. All the songs I'm referring to are on it, but I will be focusing on one particular song later on. Um, yeah. So, such a, a wide range in voice. I mean, she was known for kind of like a coy, almost childlike voice she'll have, particularly in the, uh, the song I'm going to focus on in a little while, um, because it's very much about the dream world in many ways, about symbols. Uh, but uh, she could also mix it up and sing blues with this great husky, sexy voice. Uh, which there's a song called "Beautiful Sadness," which I will again on name in the bibliography also, which is like for Melanie really cynical. You know that feeling when, no, I presume it's a lover, it probably could be your friend, but it's more than likely a lover, where someone's just obviously been a total fucking arsehole. So she's saying cynically, look, just leave me with my beautiful sadness, don't make me fucking laugh. You know, don't make me fucking laugh. And that's what the song, it's, but it's her blues presentation of it and her voice is stellar at it. It's so almost painful and, and you can hear the cynicism and the pain in the voice. So she's a bit older, so it's not our usual kind of quirky, innocent style, you know. So she can mix it up a bit as well. Anyway, I think you can tell I loved her. I was quite, uh, as I was with Ivor, but in a different way, more touched sadly by uh, Melanie's death. But God, she's left a lovely legacy. I think she's family and kids and grandkids. and uh, I think she brought joy to a lot of people. You know, she had her own cult following. Uh, through the years but yeah and it wasn't until I, I heard that I realized what how how lonely I had been as I was listening to that music particularly there was a period about 81 82 to 85 86 no I've listened to her since loads of times but then it really got me through a very very difficult space kind of existential kind of loneliness you know self-doubt you know self-loathing who am I what am I 
Bet your money is not that stuff. <laughs> if you didn't know, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Hmm. Thank you, Melanie Safka, though she be known as Melanie. Anyway, I'll come back to her other stuff later on. So the beauty is now a lot of the stuff I'll be writing down. You'll get it at the end of uh, when you see the title and that bum 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 and the description. You scroll down further and there'll be a bibliography of either of the songs and any kind of quotes that I might use. Okay. Now, funny thing. So thank you for, I got lots of comments. People love the dream stuff. It's kind of tied in with the uh, uh, intuition stuff. Um, Vinny was on to me being a bit pedantic in his lovely way. Like, was the info, get the information right. You know, um, but, excuse me. He said, I might actually get him on the podcast. It might be easy to do that because I had Betty, Betty Blue. I might get Betty Blue again. Or, as Vinny suggested, rather than trying to get Jer up to her place and do it, I'll just record her. Because sometimes I record her in the morning, her and uh, Amy and Vinny talking. And it's just just to have just those lovely conversations. But I might just get her and, and then just record it on type of thing. It'd be easier to do. It wouldn't have to be a full hour, an hour and a half. I could, she could just, I could just get snippets of her over time. So I'm going to play around with that idea. Okay. So yeah, so lots of really good comments, people loving dreams, and like really important, especially the stuff with like um, Freud and Lacan. And I'm going to talk about Jung quite a lot today, and probably Fritz Perls next for part three, and and other areas of dream work, more kind of spiritual, transpersonal styles. Jung is that, but I'll, I'll develop on that in, in part three. But particularly around that stuff, look it up if you want, because I've, you know, the, the, the Lacanian, uh, Freudian, the whole psychoanalytical dream stuff. It's really interesting, but there's volumes written on it, and I just barely touched it, just to give us a, a background to how people began to talk about it, and they began to talk about it in a particular way. But it's not the only way. And one of the reasons I like Jung, Carl Jung, he opens that out much, much more. For me, you know, he was also a disciple or a, a peer, a colleague or a contemporary of Freud, I think. And he, like others, developed his own uh, understanding of things. I thought, yeah, I hear you, you know. So, I mean, there's lots of similarities, but one of the fundamental differences is for Freud, it was all about writing, <laughs> as I say, the, the id. In simple terms, it is, but the portal, obviously. But that—that that was what—that's what everything is about. That's what we're we're driving towards. It's okay. That's there. For young, it's all about meaning, purpose, kind of not necessarily existentialism in, in the traditional sense, but more spiritually. What's the meaning? What does it mean to you? Uh, you know, archetypes. I'll be going into that a little bit more. What's the collective unconscious? They're all all Jungian terms. There's more. You know. He had an understanding of religion and spirituality. So he felt that the, the human being was driven more by the desire for understanding of the soul. He used words like psyche and soul, where Freud was much, much more of the pleasure principle, you know. You know, okay. That's it in simple terms. However, so thank you everyone for, yeah. And, and again, as I said, I'm, I'm because of the nature of this podcast, I'm not going to get, really negative feedback people are that listen usually going to like the type of subjects that we're talking about so uh, yeah lots of funny comments about our little red dominatrix as well you know 
Jimmy, is she is Anna? Is, is Reds are really all right with that? And I think she actually yeah, is. She gets a great crack out of it, you know. If she wasn't okay with it, I wouldn't be talking about it. That's for sure. Um, yeah, she's well on board with that for sure. She gets great fun out of it. Um, yes, she has just found out. Not bad news, but it's going to be tough probably through the month of February particularly. She's got a month of radiation uh, on her left breast where the other two tumours uh, were. But, you know, surgery has happened and but they're, they're going to be really thorough. She's, so there's about 20 factions, as they call them. She's going to get zapped over just to make sure it's all gone. That's going to be a tough out run, but like, you know, yeah. But easy when you're not the one that's going through it. But I would say it's a positive that hopefully, you know, will be it in, in, in that sense. Okay, so someone was asking me about whatever became of the Jizzy Wizzy guy on the Malibu bus, the old 17A, which is now some other thing that I can't think of, some other number. Um, and that's an interesting story. So there's an arc within an arc within an arc here, right? Because... Um, I've mentioned the, the Malibu bus is a song about Diary Previn from an album called Mary C. Brown and the Hollywood sign. So there's Mary C. in there. Uh, the Malibu bus is also connected to Renzo because she gets that now. I used to get it back in the 80s and 90s, right? Uh, so I love those arcs within arcs there of a story. And the Jizzy Wizzy guy, I would I, I met him on the 36 occasionally going to Ballymun. That was the old Ballymun bus, but always on the 70 so I'd meet the Jizzy Wizzy guy. So someone said, whatever became of him, and I began to wonder, yeah, what, what did become of him? I'd occasionally bump into him in the street, you know what I mean? And he'd give me that look like, yeah, we've, we've got something going on, haven't we? <laughs> you know, which I, I love now. I thought it's lovely, you know. I wondered, did he know? Maybe we did really know each other, but we, we you know, I don't know. Anyway, I think, he, did I stop getting that bus? Did it faded in time? Did he get locked up? Who knows what happened? But if I give you a little background, a short little background to the song Mary C. Brown and the Hollywood Sign uh, album and the back the song um, Holy Man on the Mal Malibu Bus number four, I think it is. And I've talked about it before. Basically, it's very prevalent. And as a kid, she's getting this bus with her mom and this holy man is on the bus and puts, puts the hand on her head. And, you know, there's an interaction and she sees this holy man a few times. Now, I don't know if anyone else has seen this holy man, but she is. Um, and then he wasn't there anymore, you know. Um, and she inquired. She went down to the depot and no one seemed to know of him, you know. And then they said, that route doesn't run. That hasn't been running for years. You know, like when those kind of like, dee -dee 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 -dee, kind of feels. It's a lovely, lovely song. And at the end of it, she thinks, she says, sometimes I think he was yellow. Sometimes I think he was tan. Sometimes I think he was a woman, a woman dressed as a man. And though he was old and ancient and I was less than three, would you laugh if I should mention, sometimes I think he was me. And that's right in the kind of dream, non sequitur state there. Uh, Previn is. Well, that's the Malibu bus number three. I'm beginning to wonder. Now, I know the bus route 78 did exist, but did the Jizzy Wizzy guy actually exist or was he a figment of my imagination? <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Because he's just... Never seen or heard of him. When I said to people, you know your man, they go, I don't know who you're talking about. Because he never seemed to be with anyone. I'm just, you know, when you think back, fuck, you know, people nodded to him and said hello, or I thought they did. 
were they there? Was I even there? And they're the kind of things he used to talk about. Are we really here, Jimmy? What's this conversation? You know, may not be real. Or we could be somewhere else viewing this. You know, we had all these wonderful ideas. You know, funny ideas. So the jizzy whizzy guy from the uh, the Malibu bus, did he exist? Where is he now? Where is he now? Anyway, uh, yeah. If I mean, if he was real, what does real mean anyway? That's an interesting one, isn't it? When you enter the, the dream world, the whole the rules are kind of different. As with intuition, the, the rules are very different. What is real? What isn't real? You know, um, from a, I say, a Buddhist perspective, and and many spiritual traditions, this life isn't really real. Yes, we're here, but it's not. It's not real, and we should take it too seriously. It's not real, and we should be robbing each other and hurting each other. It's real. It's not real as much as let's let's just be loving because and learn to love because the real love and the real stuff is coming later. Kind of thing. So that's a quite a quite a. I don't know if it's a common belief, but you'll come across it in Buddhism. That idea, this is samsara. They call it. It's not really real. You know, in that it's not the most important thing. But we're here, and we got to do what we got to do. You know, so if we don't take it too seriously, then maybe we could love each other a bit easier, and that would be good. Good lessons for moving on. Who knows? Anyway, jizzy whizzy guy, wherever you are, heaven. Here, I don't think he's in hell, I don't even know. Well, hell does exist, but I think it's in the human psyche. Is there actually a place where, like, fire and... Maybe, I don't know. But I think human beings and our suffering, our lonely suffering, we all have our versions of hell, don't we? So, yeah. So just to, yeah, someone was asking, what happened to him? Got me thinking, did he even exist? And what does exist mean? Hmm. The other sad news, being a Liverpool fan, we found out Friday morning that the wonderful, beautiful our manager, Jurgen Klopp of nine years, has decided at the end of the season he's moving on. Now, it's, it's even if you're not a football fan, you probably heard of it because he's so remarkable, not just the Liverpool fans, the whole world of football love him, even the rivals, because of his charismatic, very intelligent honest interesting he's not like normal football managers he's not like well at the end of the day you know what I mean? he's very kind of reflective and sensitive and and interesting and he often says you know football's not that important we're human beings come on you know there's a you can tell he's got something about him anyway and a great football guy but um he he uh yeah we're lucky to have got nine years old and coming to Liverpool, he transformed everything. He he was the ideal manager for Liverpool Football Club. Fit the city, fit everything, fit the style. Really put us back on the map when we were struggling. Loads of trophies. So the kind of vibe now is let's go out with a bang this season. There's still a few possibilities to win things, but he'll be leaving in May. So, yeah. Friday was a tough day, <laughs> you know. I was Oh, Ivor Brown, Melanie and Jurgen Klopp, what's going on? But Jurgen is still with us. Um yeah, that's it. So that's good. But uh yeah, it's it's a tough one, you know. Uh but I I think because if it was just an ordinary football manager, you kinda of go, Ah yeah, managers come and go. You you do get a connection. I really, everyone feels connected to him and love for him, you know. 
and he's like such love he's, he's a very loving man you know you, you'll miss him and he, other pundits were saying that they were like I was, I was a bit sad I was crying when I heard he was going like and the premiership not only the world of football but the premiership would be such an empty place without him you know that's for sure he's a big guy he's six foot something as well but like Ivor Brown he's he's big on the inside huge personality hmm Thank you, Jurgen Klopp. So all the, the announcements. Yeah. So Dreams Part 2. Okay. Last week I kind of focused a fair bit on, um, I think I built it around Freud and Lacan as a kind of a backbone and, and that type of stuff. And, and I, I said then, and I'm going to reiterate again, I absolutely believe that, uh, and Young, who I'm going to talk more about today, would be of this absolute belief, as will, as will uh, Fritz Perls, who I'll do next week. I'll do you, Fritz Perls, uh, more of uh, his understanding of dreams. That really, 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 it, it doesn't really matter. You get all these, you know, there's some obvious interpretations, aren't there, you know, big ones. Uh, we can see, you can kind of, it wouldn't take a genius to work out. That, that's really like not important. What's important is what does it mean to you? How do you feel? Because I could dream about a uh, classic. I used to have it all the time. I haven't had it for a while. My teeth would all, they'd fall out into my hand. It was awful. I'm sure you've had that dream, you know. Now, there's some obvious understandings of that, right? They generally reckon it's to do with like insecurity, uh, loss, obviously, you know, the teeth are significant. But that's quite specific to me as opposed to you. And you, everyone has their own feel of why that might be. Like, oh, I had trouble with my teeth all as a kid, pains and problems. And it's just why addiction became, I used to swill whiskey in my mouth. As a, I used to rob it just to get that. And then I went, oh, that's right. Even though I didn't like the taste, like the effect. I used to have like neuralgia, that type of, always problems with my teeth. And I got one of my teeth knocked out by my brother and it went bad, all that type of stuff. So they're very, very significant. So the feeling for me is always exposure in the dream. It's like, and these little, and it's like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And want to put your hand over your mouth and, you know, that kind of feeling. That's quite classic, isn't it? The other one that I have regularly is, I haven't had it for a month or two or three now. I'm on the bus. I'm always on the bus and I discover I'm in my underwear and it's a packed bus on the way to work. That's quite a common one, right? You know, but again, even though they're obvious, like, oh, fear of exposure, absolutely humiliation, people are going to laugh at you, vulnerability, huge vulnerability. <gasps> yeah, you just, and I'm always upstairs, so you got to try to get downstairs to get, you know, get off, putting your hand over, cupping yourself as you go down the stairs. People are looking at you, you know, and just the horrible feeling of being naked on a bus, you know, Um that dread, you know. Now from the, uh, if I launch into next week, the kind of Fritz Perls or the humanistic, the kind of creative experiment, what how I would work and how I have worked with that dream of myself is that I imagine, well, what would it be like to kind of go, yeah, fuck it, and strut down the, right, strut down the aisle. This is me, here I am, Amy Voxers, and embrace it. You know, and, and I feel there's a huge area of work there. And it's terrifying, obviously. 
but even to get into feeling with that is to work with that feeling and to heal that feeling may often be the opposite to act and, and be the opposite if you like you know uh, and face and well what if what if so what if you know so rather than trying to find go to a book and kind of go that means you know and it might have something because they're that they're classic what we call the big dreams that most people have right so yeah fair enough but what what is it for me how does it how does, my sense of humiliation might be quite different to yours my sense of the feeling you know because when i work with that and have worked that and do the kind of like let's embrace that feeling and, and own it as part of me you know often i find great courage and strength underneath that and like why do i fucking care so much anyway and i don't i mean it's good to care but care in that neurotic way why do i care what you think do you remember me talking a couple of pod, pod, pod pass, podcast back it's kind of ties into this i almost danced down the aisle of the bus that's the same type of stuff it's about being in the world and being seen uh being exposed but if i own it if i own the narrative yeah i'm what you know what i mean i'm what here i am not, not with a bad attitude, just, okay. Oh, look, there's a guy walking down the street. And what? Yeah, I don't know. There you go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, with, with pink trousers on or whatever, it doesn't really matter, you know, kind of thing. So that's where dreams are very powerful for getting us in touch with our deepest fears, you know. Classic falling. I used to have that as a kid, I'm sure you did. You know, the falling. And then it'd be like, I remember having it, it'd be like a feather falling, but the dread of hitting the ground. And then you have all these rooms, if you hit the ground, you die. You know, people saying, I don't know how true that is. Um, but you just wake up just before you hit the ground. You go, oh, fuck it out, thank God. You know, that one, you know, or being chased by something, this monster. And you know, that one where you can't, ah, you can't scream. You can't, oh, it's horrible. Nothing will come out. So it's quite a, it's a bit of a trauma piece there, you know speak it might be tied into as well if i scream i'll break you know wake everybody in the house there might be an unconscious mechanism in place there who knows um but i think it's about power because the other one i have is um i used to have a lot would be i'd be in a situation where i had to fight and actually i'm all right i can fight i just don't like it and i know i can get out of this i know i can swing a dig or throw a kick and i have to but in the dream it's like powder Oof. It, it just doesn't land it's fucking horrible so you can you can get the powerlessness in that like i'm going i'm not going to have any power you know I, i'm I'm going to be impotent i'm not going to maybe it's about that maybe it's masculine stuff who knows but my kick or my punch would just be like paper it's a horrible horrible feeling so i've done quite a bit of work with that and still do you know if that that comes up anyway i didn't mean to get into them their dreams there's other ones i'll, I'll get into in a while around that um, but they're classic ones my point being you know yeah you can look at blanket interpretations but does that fit for you because we're all different because as Jung says it's also tied into how we are today there's, a, there's an element of that in and there's an element of other consciousness consciousnesses in the dream so it's not just well that happened that means that you know and most importantly how is your body in it front of me just to see a note there there was a band called not super tramp now the tramps and uh back in 78 they had a lovely song i don't think they had anything else a song called hold back the night 
from the best of the tramps. It's kind of like a soul, kind of Philadelphia type of sound, you know. Um, hold back the night, turn on the light. I don't want to dream about you, baby. Dream about you, you know. And I think, you know, that he, he's, they, they're going through that experience of, I, it's too painful to dream about you because it's obviously over this pain there or you, know, you haven't contacted me or, you know, we broke up or something, you know. Hold back the light, turn on the light. I don't want to dream about you. It's a lovely tune, actually. Hold back the night, turn on the light. And just a lovely bit where it drags. Hold it, hold it. Great, great musically. Lovely, lovely tune. But very clever what they're saying. And I was also thinking of what they used to, like they called when you were a teenager, nocturnal emissions, isn't it? Wet dream. Who says that? I never went out and said, did you have any nocturnal emissions last night, lads? <laughs> you got to dig. I don't think you even called them wet dreams. You know? Um... She said, I was knocking one. Now, I know you're not technically knocking one out for a, for a wet dream. It kind of just happens, you know. Then it develops in teenagers to, to knock one out with two various people. Um, so, you know those dreams where, like, uh, kind of, they're, they're really disappointed because you connect with someone, you know, like, who maybe you can't normally be with. So, again, I'm 14, 15, so, you know. I'm, I'm having this conversation with, I'm saying, listen, Debs, you'll know our best as Blondie. Well, what was all that about? Why didn't you call back? What's going on? We, we, we connected. We ran through the meadow together. It was all hazy and beautiful. And he looked at me and we rolled around and like in the films, we laughed. <laughs> and you said, yes, I'll see you later. You didn't come later. What happened? You know? Or it could be Steve-O, which would be Stevie Nicks, you know. We were going to write the song together. You told me. You said you needed my lyrics. You held me. <laughs> Where are you, Steve-O? What's going on? Or it could be Ricky Baby, Ricky Lee Jones, you know. They're all the, my material as a teenager, you know. But I'd have these profound dreams, like they made a promise. And I'd be fucking heartbroken the next day that it was a dream. And almost like... I'm going to call them. Where were you? I know I'm fucking 15 years younger than you. I'm just a boy. But we had something, God damn it. <laughs> or it could be random strangers, but sometimes it would be very intense. And, the, you know, rather than the the uh, uh, terrible uh, uh, feeling of, of, you know, or in the other dreams, the terrible feeling and the relief when you wake up from those other dreams. Whew, thank God that was a dream. These ones, like, it's desperately depressing and there's lost for a few days, you know, those lingering ones. So those dreams are very important. And obviously there, you know, there's a deep desire for connection there, isn't there, you know, um, along with just normal horny teenager stuff and fancying these women who's, who I'm listening to and watching and have posters of them. Well, did I have posters? I think I did. I might have had one or two. I don't know. Well, I had them in the albums anyway. You could see them, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, how that was a dream, you're still in the cell, yeah. So, when I think of wet dream, I think of wet brain. Here's a kind of a stream of consciousness now, a bit of free association for you, Freudal, like this. So, wet brain was a little brown mouse in number one James Connolly Tower back in the mid late 80s. James Connolly Tower, number one, was where Niall Guy lived. Niall lived there. And I lived in Slough, so I'd be there a lot. We'd be up and down to each other's places. So we were there one day, 
and a little mouse, a little brown mouse, shot out of somewhere. And the two of us got a fright, two grown men, right? Completely irrational. And But we didn't want to kill her because we're not like that so rich. So for some weird reason, I said, I nicknamed, I called him Wet Brain. And uh, the mouse, not oil. <laughs> and then we just, he just came, wet, wet brain. And he was running in and out. And Niall wanted to get him out of the flap. We didn't want to kill him. <laughs> but it was just so funny. It went on for hours. So what we were trying to do, <laughs> this fucking bizarre. Um, I was, I was like, wet brain. <laughs> I was talking to him. You know, uh, him, I, I presumed it was it. We always assumed it was a him. Um, and you know, when from objectively, when you look, because there was a point, I think he got a fright. And he was in the hallway, and he was just, you know, when animals go still, and he, he had nice little brown eyes, little whiskers. And I was trying to say, listen, I know we're different species. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. And we're just we're irrational. We think you're gonna run up our trousers or something. I don't know what we're thinking, but we get a bit scared. I don't know what it is. Um, any chance you could head out that way? Because in the uh, the towers in Ballymun. He'd have been fine out there. There's lots of nice places that would have been warm because the central heating kept the landing really warm as well, uh, which was a gift for where if you were homeless or angora as they call it, you know, you could sleep on the landings. Anyway, you can see where the stream of consciousness is going. So I'm talking to Wet Brain. I'm saying, listen. So uh, we were trying to guide about. Anyway, eventually he scattered out the door. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, and forever since then, he was known as Wet Brain, you know. Um. Yeah, I wonder where he is now. Did you ever wonder, wonder where he is? <laughs> I presume he's dead. What's the lifespan of my brain? You know, he's probably sitting with headphones on, listening to this podcast in another form. You know, wondering why I call him my brain. <laughs> there's big. There's a big alcoholism in the the the, the rodent community. <laughs> he went to the rodent center for treatments. Oh, look, stop, stop. Anyway. So when I hear uh, wet dream, I think of wet brain, a little wet brain. God bless you, wet brain, wherever you are. You scared the shit out of two grown men and you're only about three inches. <laughs> Lovely little thing. <laughs> oh, man. What's the difference where an animal bigger we wouldn't be scared of? It's, is it the smallness? Is it the, the unpredictability, isn't it? Yeah, you can't control them. You don't know what they're going to do. Just, just don't. I'm not going to hurt you. Don't hurt me. Just stay over there. Don't do anything, son. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, Carl Gustav Jung. Swiss psychiatrist, psychoanalyst from the 1900s. Same era as Freud, early 1900s. They were in their heyday. So Jung saw the dream as the unconscious trying to communicate with the conscious mind. Dreams are symbolic with multiple meanings. So again, there's no just one interpretation. He saw it having multiple meanings, far more expansive than classical psychoanalytical dream analysis. Yeah, fair enough. There's the term big dreams, which I was naming some of them, but Jung called this, named this big dreams. Because you have loads of dreams that are kind of random and don't seem that important. It's just the unconscious kind of, you know, maybe there's too much activity. It's just getting, you know, it's processing stuff that's not that important. But the big dreams, again, you'll, I believe you'll know them by the bodily sensation, how you're feeling. 
Jung described in 1933, defined them as being characterized by having left an instinctive feeling of significance in the dreamer. And I've added in bodily sensations, emotional charge. You'll hear me say that a lot about everything. Once, if you're listening and feeling into your body, particularly around dreams, if you're remembering a dream, what it was like, and you can feel a significant sense in your body, a sensation, an emotional charge of certain, and it stays. I think that's rich with information for you. That's got messages for you. That's important. And you don't necessarily need a psychotherapist to work it out. You could do it with a friend, but maybe a psychotherapist that's interesting could be useful for you there, right? Okay. Dreams often have a numinous, numinous quality, kind of religious, spiritual, transcendent, which is young would have been big into, and can contain kind of strange or beautiful imagery, wisdom or horror. Young 1946. You said that. Uh, so Jung went on to say about, say, remembering dreams. What he said was, the dream is a little hidden door in the innermost and most secret recesses of the soul. Jung uses terms like psyche, soul, um, dreaming is like a universal experience. Everybody dreams, although sometimes we don't remember our dreams. And Jung connects childhood, uh, the psychodynamic, the psych, you know, dream material with kind of like, I suppose, with, with current behavior. And he also gives current behavior has its own meaning also, and it may have other elements to it as well. So he's not straightforward like Freud and classic psychoanalysis would be. Well, that happened, that means you've got an Oedipal complex, you're in love with your dad or your mom, whatever, you know, you need to you're, you're uh, repressing this because you're not comfortable with that. Now, there may be bits of that in there, but it's much more open. You know, it, it's more relevant to what's going on today. So it's not like the, the past will describe today. It's both today may influence that and vice versa. So he's open to a more expansive type of consciousness. Um, yeah. So, for example, Freud in the 1900, he said, dreams protect sleep by distorting the unconscious meaning of the dream. Right? But Jung on the other, Jung, Jung on the other hand saw the dream as like a total picture of the current situation in, of the psyche, including unconscious aspects. You know, this very much includes the transpersonal and the spiritual. That's the difference. Fritz Perls, who I'll go into more next week, Gestalt Therapy, he saw the dream as an integral expression of the full person with creative existential messages for the dreamer. The key to Gestalt is the client accepting and owning. That's the big owning that they are every part of the dream. It's real taking responsibility in a lovely way and, the, and work through the creative exploration, becoming the dream to, you know, integrate unknown parts and to grow, develop, and meet potential, etc. It's beautiful. Which that brings me actually into um, my tea making song earlier on would have been Bowie, Moon Age Daydream. I'm picking this to go with what I've just said there about the, the Gestalt thing. You know, I'm skipping into next week a little bit, but that's okay. Young uh, would have been okay with this as well. Um, Moon Age Daydream is a track from the enormous, the groundbreaking, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spider from Mars album from 1972. Wonderful album. 
I was saying Hunky Dory is my favorite album. I always feel like I'm cheating or I'm being unfaithful because I can hear <laughs> Ziggy Stars going to go, what about me? And Aladdin saying, and Diamond, I see your Diamond Dogs in the background. You know how it is when you love. I love you all equally. You know, I suppose Hunky Dory has a particular relevance to me, but so does Ziggy Stardust and the Spoilers from Mars. What an album. So Bowie became so immersed in his creative process, along with a lot of cocaine, I think. Let's be fair. But he was that way anyway. He was really, his writing, he began to move into creative non sequiturs. So this is where the dream world and the awaken world intersect. So a lot of songwriters do that. He really did that and began to explore. And then he took it a step further, like what Fritz Perl said, he became the character. So there's an arc within an arc. He created a character called Ziggy Stardust, this alien who dropped from planet God knows where, who's this fucking hot, sexy, brilliant fucking rock star called Ziggy Stardust. And he's got a band called The Spiders of Mars. Bowie got so, he became it. The album was enormous. It shot him to worldwide fame. And it was, you know, but he really, he morphed into Ziggy and he didn't know which was which, you know. So it was a beautiful, creative thing that became quite painful for him as well. He, he couldn't, he had to do a lot of work to separate from that, you know. But anyway, this particular song is called Moon Age Daydream. Um, is, is a Moon Age Daydream different to an Earth Age Daydream? Which is very, very interesting. So this song captures the kind of dream feel, but I'll include in that Bowie's non-sequitur way of writing, creative non-sequitur. So I'm an alligator. I'm a mama papa coming to you. I'm a space invader. I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. Keep your mouth shut. You're squawking like a pink monkey bird. And I'm busting up my brains for the world. Now I love this. I think this is real sexy. Well, I think the whole thing is sexy. But I love this. Keep your electric eye on me, babe. Put your ray gun to my head. Press your space face close to mine, love. Freak out in a moon age daydream. Oh yeah. Wonderful Mick Ronson guitar. And that whole album feels like it's from an alien in a good, it's, it's just got a different feel or sound to it. Brilliant. Song Starman is from a Starman waiting in the sky. It's a great uh, rock and roll suicide is from that album. You know, I'll name the album at the end. So don't worry. So even though I'm, I'm, this is what I'm probably will do now, even though the song I'm, uh, naming now and that I was kind of, uh, it's a kind of slowish. I was dancing to it. I was doing mime to it. And Bowie was, did mime quite a lot on stage. So I was miming and using sign language as well to move through, uh, Moon Age Daydream. You know, keep your electric eye on me, put your ray gun to my head, press your space face close to mine, love. Very romantic, isn't beautiful? Freak out in a moon age daydream, oh yeah. You know, so I was doing that. I was like, what I'll be doing is naming, of course, moon age daydream, Ziggy Stardust, but then you'll have the name of the album, and loads of you'll probably know it anyway. But if you're kind of curious, then you could look the album up. Uh, or the other songs go, what's Jimmy talking about? What's this Bowie? As I said, 70s Bowie isn't easy to get into if you're not a fan as such. But this was the album that like shot him into stardom. It's interesting. Into stardom. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, am I making sense, darling? Okay. So, what I'm really saying is, uh, there's, there's a piece actually of young I wanted to get to. 
I'm really kind of getting into how Carl Jung, his dream work is, I find a bit more appealing because of that spiritual, transpersonal, much more open space. And uh, I liked his approach to dream work, you know. Um, he was very much a psychoanalyst for sure. But uh, he, I suppose he developed from that. He was much more exploratory, experimental and stuff, you know. Um, yeah. So, Jung viewed dreams as impartial, for example, right? Unadulterated pictures of the state of our psyche. Um, undistracted by ego defenses and offering rich, sorry, undistorted by ego defenses and offering rich opportunities for psychological expansion. That's fair enough. Uh, and he talked about complex and architects. I'll come to them. Architects? Archetypes as well. I'll come to them. And the complexes of the dream sequence itself. The architects are the, the archetypes, are the kind of like symbols, kind of worldwide that we all know, collective signs and symbols that we can all relate to. Um, okay. I suppose Jung would be known for, you know, you think of Jung, you think of the, the, the archetypes, and uh, they become kind of synonymous with him. I'm sure, obviously, the word is around, but he used it in a particular way, you know. So here's a lovely, lovely Jung quote, right? When someone tells me a dream, I have made a rule to say, first of all, to myself, I have no idea what this dream means. Then I can begin. That's, how refreshing is that? He's not starting off as some kind of an expert saying, I'm going to work out what this dream means for you. I love that rule. I try and take that on myself in general, meeting people if I can to try and be as clear and open and not, you know, as if it's for the first time, if you like. So when someone tells me a dream, I've made a rule to say, first of all, to myself, I have no idea what this dream means, then I can begin. That creates a lovely, open, exploratory field, doesn't it? Rather than sitting there kind of going, oh, I wonder what he and she thinks is going to be. It's giving power away to someone. And the dream interpreter may be brilliant, but they, they just don't know your flavor. Or I think there's a whole opportunity missed there, do you know? So again, you know, if you're listening to and recording our dreams can be helped. It's a good practice. As I said, keep the notebook there. Uh, it's a contemplative practice compared to meditation, you know. Um, and, and again, Jung would use words like wisdom, you know. Uh, and uh, kind of like spirituality and uh, mystical experiences and he would see that so here's a couple of uh, young's named archetypes that he'd look for through the dream or in working with you because again we can work with the waking dream again in, in part three i'll be looking more and more at that maybe how psychedelic songs that have psychedelic in them some of the the beatles songs like lsd lucy in the sky with diamonds that's just really a waking dream anyway i'll come to that next week so one of the archetypes you'll hear of Jung using is called the persona. We know that term. The persona refers to the image individuals present to the world, akin to a, like a public mask, if you like. We all do it. Even in dreams, the persona may appear as a scarecrow or a beggar, but the dreamer still recognizes the figure as themselves. Right? People can adopt multiple personas wearing different masks to cater to various social contexts. All these personas form part of the ego. Fair enough. 
then we have the famous i spoke about this in a, a podcast a couple of months back the shadow the shadow self that term's a jungian term we're talking about shadow work to work with the shadow shadow is not bad oh so the shadow embodies the aspects of an individual that are rejected and hidden from the outside world that's fair enough isn't it? it represents weakness shame fear or anger there's nothing wrong with them in dreams the shadow may manifest as a monster or a pursuer who you know elicits anger or fear young keep going from young young emphasized the importance of working with the shadow to heal and integrate the darker aspects of oneself facilitating personal growth beautiful i love that stuff here's where he overlaps with uh gestalt therapy because in, in you know if you're doing dream work with someone in gestalt therapy and they say oh fuck there was a monster chasing me you get the person to be the monster because the monster's part of you what's it like to be the monster be all parts of the dream you know um and that can feel a bit odd but it's very empowering because it can help you really integrate because the dream is always about you it it may be significant that i'm dreaming about uh, this guy from down there that might have an element to it as well what's more important is that it's my projection of him what i think of someone else not really them you know as such okay so that's the persona the shadow and next we have the personal unconscious we doing okay here okay the personal unconscious encompasses the collection and storage of information dreams often draw from the personal unconscious allowing his content to resurface into the conscious mind or evaluation by the ego Jung described it as follows everything i know but of which oh of which i must include all or more or less intentional repressions of painful thoughts and feelings I call the sum of these contents the personal unconscious. That's basically everything I'm aware of, right? But it's stored in the unconscious. It goes in and I don't pay any attention to it and it's there. That's the personal. It's particularly mine. It's got not necessarily connected to you and all that stuff will be in there. You know, repressed, painful thoughts and feelings that are mine. They're the sum of the contents, the personal unconscious. Then you've got the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious kind of like represents this is a real Jungian thing captivating the concept proposed by Jung, connecting the consciousness of all living beings even transpersonal transgenerational i'm saying myself i'm adding to that right Jung identified psychological constants shared across societies such as the transition into womanhood the growing fascination with death after middle age and the parental figure these shared experiences and generational memories make up the collective unconscious i find that really interesting you know um that we're all you've heard me talk about that before we're all inter interconnected and that's where it is so we've got our own personal conscious we have a collective uh, consciousness and i would add to that jung spoke about it there's a transpersonal spiritual uh part to that and where the rules are very very different and that's where intuition arises from and are you with me now anima animus is another one of the archetypes within each individual both feminine and masculine qualities coexist carl jung proposed that dream imagery related to the anima the feminine and animus the masculine emerges based on the integration and balance of these qualities within oneself 
that's fair enough and how comfortable we are with our me as a male how comfortable i am with my own feminine energy you know with my anima and the female with the animals and i, I was talking about these before in, in, a, in a podcast okay so then you've got you've got what's called the self what what jung calls the self is all of all of that is it the self you get me right uh so and it's it's all the kind of archetypes it's the uh the anima animus the shadow the uh personal consciousness the collective consciousness and the self that's all of that makes up the self or the psyche okay and Jung would work with dreams much in the same way you know free association artistic expression will be important through music archetypal symbolism to interpret dreams as a psychotherapist his primary focus was was to help individuals comprehend the connection between their dreams and waking life that was the big thing Jung placed great trust in the dreamer's ability to draw conclusions through self-reflection and analysis. Again, very empowering. It's more important what you think or feel. Aye. Aye. What he says about the big dreams, while dreams are inherently personal, they often touch upon universal themes and symbols derived from personal experiences. Jung did not assert that all dreams fit in specific archetypal categories, yet he employed archetypes as guides for interpreters. Guides. Guide me this way. He believed that some dreams possess greater depth and emotional intensity, originating from the collective unconscious. These exceptional dreams, known as big dreams, exhibit a hyper-realistic qualities and contain symbols representing aspects of psyche or collective archetypes. And we'll know them again. You don't have to kind of think about all that. You'll know them by the way they impact you and the kind of the, the power of the imagery that might be in the dream. Some dreams are quite mundane. They don't necessarily mean anything as such, you know. But the big dreams are obvious. There's like a huge thing has happened and you're left with a big feeling, right? And they're quite, they're archetypes, they're symbols that we can all relate to. I think that's pretty much young concluding for me at the moment. Um, I would suggest... Yeah, as with Freud and Lacan, that you look up if you're interested in anything I've said about them. Check them out. You'll, yeah, you can. Uh, I think one of Jung's own is his best books that people quote is called "Memories, Dreams, and Reflections." Um, that's his own kind of experience. It's quite interesting book. But he's got a volumes of stuff, so I'm not even gonna. If you just went online and looked up Carl Jung, it'll show you. Boom. That's the beauty of going online now. Freud the same, Lacan the same. You'll see some of the things I'm talking about. Yeah. Finally, like Jung says, I have noticed that dreams are as simple or as complicated as the dreamer himself. Only they're always a little bit ahead of the dreamer's consciousness. That's interesting, isn't it? It's like a guy to try to tell us something. Do not understand my own dreams. I do not understand my own dreams any better than any of you. I like his humility there. For they are always somewhat beyond my grasp, and I have the same trouble with them as anyone who knows nothing about dream interpretation. So knowledge is no advantage when it's a matter of one's own dreams. I love that about Jung as a therapist. You know, people think, oh, you're a therapist, you must know much more. You don't. In fact, you're often more blocked because you think you know shit. Do you know what I mean? 
I'm just going to read that again because I think that's really, really important. And I love his humility here. So to conclude about Carl Jung, he says, I have noticed that dreams are as simple or as complicated as the dreamer is himself. Only they are always a little bit ahead of the dreamer's consciousness. I do not understand my own dreams any better than any of you. For they are always somewhat beyond my grasp, and I have the same trouble with them as anyone who knows nothing about dream interpretation. Knowledge is no advantage when it's a matter of one's own dreams. Thank you, Carl Gustav Jung, for your humility. It's true, and I love the idea. I mean, I think it's wonderful to have science and to understand somewhat dreams and the psyche. Absolutely. I'm not against that. But, and I think uh, Carl Jung knew this, for sure. Fritz Perls knew it. I think at some level Freud knew it, that he was a little bit more scientific, though, in his approach. Uh, there's a whole mystery that we don't know. There's an unknown, isn't there? Ooh. How cool is that? There's an unknown. There's a band called The War on Drugs. And they've got this wonderful song that's really dreamlike. Again, with this lyrics. Again, a lot of music and artists, as I've said, as I was talking about intuition, will use creative non sequiturs. So this is where waking consciousness meets nighttime consciousness and forms a creative piece of work, a poem, piece of art, or a song, or, or something. Right? You meet that place, they intersect, so you can actually have the dream awake. So songwriting is like being awake in a dream, and uh, it's playing out a dream through music and imagery, and I love that. Okay, so the song from Warren Drugs is called Thinking of a Place, from an album called A Deeper Understanding, 2017. And there's a lot, plenty of lyrics, but I'll just give you a little flavour of them. It was back in a little bend that I saw you. The light was changing in the water where boards above it's flown. There was pain in your eyes, so you vanished into the night. Missouri River in the distance, so I light upon the lawn. And the kind of chorus you'll get is, I'm moving through the dark of a long black night, just moving with the moon and the light it shines. And I'm thinking of a place and it feels so very real just moving through the dark. You know that feeling where you're thinking of a place, maybe, where was that? Where it's like deja vu again in the dream and there's a sequence and night becomes day and day becomes night and you know you meet someone and you can kind of see pain in their eyes and but you want to be connected and to, you know, all of that can be in the dream. You're often seeking something. So I find uh, my own and it's not a fixed kind of idea. I don't, not like just as what I believe and that's how it is, but what I'm evolving and understanding that I feel what's most important to us as human beings is, I'll say love, but I want to use that in a very broad sense, connection to, to meet, to be seen, not just visually, to be known, to be heard, to see, to know, to hear, to have peak experience, peak connection. And and the dream state brings us in there. You know, that whole layers of consciousness that open up a whole different place. 
And I think we can get moments of it. You get a moment of deja vu, you get a moment, you get it in a dream and you touch excellence. It's like, oh, I want that. That was, that was, that was brilliant. You know, and it may have been a romantic, sexual, intimate experience, but it may have just been a lovely experience with, with a spirit animal or just in a place on your own. It doesn't matter. And, you know, strange sky and you're kind of going, God, this is really strange. I love it. I've never been here, but it's familiar to me. That whole vibe, right? There's lots of that in dreams. So that song, Thinking of a Place, really reminds you that's a great song. I'm sure you will love it if you don't know it already. Uh, again, it'll be on the list, so don't worry. War on Drugs, Thinking of a Place. And that just the way it moves, the way the song moves, you know. Um, hmm. So what are you thinking so far? Have you been like uh, paying attention to your dreams? What are your views on dreams? You know, what do you, have you looked up young Lacan, uh, Fritz Perls, these people? You may not be interested. You don't have to be. As I said, there are in uh, part three, I'll look much more at Fritz Perls, uh, Gestalt therapy, because that opens up a whole other area again. And then I'll talk more about Buddhism, spiritual traditions, other ways to view dreams, and to look at the actual process of waking dreams, dreaming, as I said, like in the song Dreamer, anticipating something good, visualizing what's called now manifesting, maybe. That's become a bit naff, hasn't it? Manifesting. But nothing wrong with it, but it's got a bit of a thing to it now, hasn't it? But these things are ancient to project good, to anticipate to hope for, to wish for, to move in the direction of, to aspire to, that type of dreaming that we can do while we're awake. And that comes from the same place. Creative imagination. I love that, you know. Because what is dream but, you know, imagination. You know, uh, just in a, when we're sleeping, just it's allowing some of our things that maybe our ego, which is our just a part of who we are, the idea of ourselves kind of clashes with that a bit, you know, it's a bit more open, allows us to explore fears, allows us to explore taboos, allows us to explore our brilliance, you know, because sometimes, often, the dream is saying, you're really, really good, you don't know you are, I feel. Hold back the night, turn on the light, don't want to dream about you. It's lovely to want to dream about sometimes, but sometimes you don't want to dream about somebody or something if it's not going to come to fruition, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really interested in, you know, and a lot of people are, are talking about it, what you think of dreams, you know? I think they're wonderful. The psyche is wonderful. Um, yes, we can get bogged down in the fear dreams or the falling dreams. and oh, you know, Sometimes I don't want to go back to sleep because I'm afraid real terror can happen through dreams but isn't that a wonderful way to process trauma for example or just being a human being alive you know meeting what we've to meet you know it's a very safe way to so i feel if we're dreaming we're already healing dreaming is healing you know it really is it's, it's the system's way of healing us of processing of expressing or trying to give us a little nudge and say look look at this you know Oh yes, I know I want to come back to Melanie Safka. Melanie, the beautiful Melanie. Uh, who, very sadly, died recently. Um, and the song I want to use is called Brand New Key, right? By Melanie. Um, from 1971. 
Now, I'll say unfortunately, but I mean, there was a, a kind of a fun uh, version done of it, like uh, I got a brand new combine harvester, I think it was, by the Wurzels or something, and they used the same tune. And it was a great kind of novelty. I got a brand new combine harvester. The, the only slight problem, it kind of overshadowed Melanie's actual song. So anytime people hear that, they think of the funny song, which is good. But her actual song, Brand New Key, which is really clever. Um, in uh, Redzer sent me, uh, it was actually Redzer who told me I hadn't heard. Just, and I don't think Redzer's a fan like I am. She said, ah, your, your, your girl Melanie's passed away. You know, and she sent a text and she sent a piece from The Guardian. It was like an interview with Melanie way back in the day. And she was talking, they, they were asking about this song. And it was quite Freudian. And Melanie was saying, well, dream stuff and psychoanalysis, and that's all about locks and keys, isn't it? And this is what this song is about. I've got a brand new key, you know. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. You've got a brand new key. And it's really symbolic. And of course, it's about fucking riding. You know, it's about more than, it's about intimacy, connection, expression of love, of sexuality, kind of exploration. You know, it's a beautiful, symbolic way of talking about that, right? So uh, I think it's lovely. And she sings it in her kind of quirky little innocent type of vibrato voice, you know. I remember when it came out, I was 10 and I loved it. Then, uh, and there was like a, they didn't have videos then, but sometimes you'd get a film of something and there was a, a picture, I don't know whether it was mainly, of this really cute woman uh, skating, you know. Um, and maybe I thought it was about just skating them, but of course, it's really symbolic for wanting to connect with somebody, you know. Here's what I love about it, right? So um, I won't go into all the lyrics. It's quite a short song, very quirky, lovely to listen to, right? Um, so she says, uh, I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. Right, so there's the, I'm okay, I love, I'm okay alone. So that's that lovely balance. Yeah, I'm seeking, I'm reaching out, I'm hungry, I want something that you have. We're all human beings, we all want something someone else has, connection, right? But I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. I love the way she says that. Well, I got a brand new pair of roller skates, you got a brand new key. I think we should get together and try them on to see. I've been looking around the world for a while, you got something for me. Oh, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. It's a lovely symbolic way of saying, look, we both want to get together or we both have something that we both want, you know? I also love about it, I'm kind of adding in this bit, but I'm sure Melanie would approve. So when she's saying like, I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. And, and if you don't want to play ball, others will. It's okay. Do you know what I mean? There's other keys. There's other, you know, and isn't roller skates a lovely, sexy symbol for, uh, it's a very, it feels like a female sensuality. And maybe the male or the other has the key. So I've got the roller skates, you got the key, let's get together and try them out to see. La 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 Great, great tune. That's Melanie. Brand new key. Hmm. Be down on the list, don't worry. Yeah. Okay. That's pure dream material. It's pure. She she's exhibiting there as many singer songwriters do the kind of imagery and symbols that are used in dreams. 
but she's using them awake and out loud. So you can imagine having this dream, for example, I don't know whether she did, of being on roller skates and, and going past someone that you're interested in, you know, and you're going by on your bike, but you're on your roller skates and they're not there. And I think the last verse is, I asked your mother if you were at home. She says, yeah, but you weren't alone. Sometimes I think you're avoiding me. I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. Let's say that song wasn't out and someone bought that dream. Where would it bring you to? You know, if you broke that dream down, what do the roller skates need? What do, you know, fabulous. I think, you know. Um, there was a couple of other songs I just wanted to name as I'm getting near a close, closure. Um, a little feet song. Yes, that's it. Called All That You Dream, right? And I, you know, I like Little Feet a lot. I like them a lot. The late great Lloyd, uh, Lowell George's band. Um, and this song features Linda Ronstadt as well, actually. She often sang with them. From 1975, from an album called The Last Record. I don't think it was The Last Record. Um, but the opening lines is hooks you straight away, hooked me straight away as well as the music now for those of you that aren't little feet fans they've got a very kind of quirky jazzy funky bluesy style of play that's specific to them so but they have that music going on but the opening line i've been down but not like this before as soon as i heard that song the, the music got me for the line i've been down but not like this before caught me straight away this, this something again, it's an archetypal piece, isn't it? We all know that. It's like, yeah, I've been down, but not like there's something going on, right? I can't be around this kind of show no more. Oh, all that you dream, it comes through shining silver lining. Then it goes on to say, there's loads of lyrics in it. Right into your life, you start to realize just what is true. What else can you do? Just follow the rules. Keep your eyes on the road that's ahead of you. Oh yeah. I've been down but not like this before. Love it. Love that. And I love the way the dream imagery they're using. You know, where what is real? What is true? What can you do? Keep your eyes on the road. Follow the, you know. But what about over there? What about over there? So there's loads and loads of possibilities. Um, but when I hear the lines, the way they sing it, and it might be just specific to me, I've been down but not like this before it really moves right into my heart and caught in a particular way that this is, it's describing a feeling I know well. And the paradox is I know it well, but not quite like this before. <sighs> you know, what is this new experience now? Yeah. Okay. And sometimes dreams don't, they don't, they're not like, um, what's that term? They don't necessarily run A to Z, obviously, right? They don't say, well, here's the answer, and you do the bit of dream work, here's the answer. They point you in the direction. That's the fun. It's a bit like being on a paper chase or a, a getting clues. It's like, and they're, they're a wonderful clue, and they make life exciting. And then you're going down, you could be just sitting, then you turn, and you see something, you kind of go, oh, yeah. 
you see a sign literally and it makes sense to you then that's that or you meet someone and they say something to you and you kind of go that's what that means you know so they're it's like paper trails all the time just giving you look and little indications arrows and then an opening in the forest happens sometimes and you go oh i'll have this yes please right so pay attention listen listen to the you know if you can have the experience which i'll be touching next week of being awake having waking dreams getting in touch with that i was doing it with the kind of uh, stream of consciousness earlier on when i was talking about wet dream wet brain body moon da -da 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 -da. it brings you into that world where the sentences don't all have to join up in the same way you know but yet there's a theme there's a meaning there a feeling that really excites me i think you know that uh, I'm going to finish with a song from an album I spoke about a couple of uh, podcasts back by The Frames, lead man Glenn Hansard, as you know. And it's from the very first album called Another Love Song, which I have said then, I'll say now, I still think is, I love The Frames albums, but it's my, still my favourite Frames album for all kinds of reasons back in 1991 and there's a song on it called telegraph poles right um and glenn often writes very much non sequitur style as, as a lot of interesting musicians do you know he just doesn't write ordinary kinds of songs there's kind of not hidden meanings but subtle meanings and the music will touch a feeling in you you know uh, people will say that about Glenn's songs. I just seem to hit the nail on the head with that or the way he described that or he'll use symbols or meanings. And the interesting thing about this song is I know the exact place he's talking about in Ballymun because at that time Glenn lived literally a block away in Sloan Road than what we did. So I know the telegraph pole he's talking about. I don't know the instant, but there's often instance that happen. But what makes this kind of dream quality is when you listen to the song the way it's kind of menacing it's kind of slope and builds up but it has that it's kind of dave udlin plays super guitar on it he was the, the guitarist at the time um there's a kind of a slow menacing slightly dangerous feel so he's kind of describing something fearful that's happened he's a kid climbing up this and something happens and there's an accident and a man dies and someone gets the blame but it wasn't him and the kid sees it and no one's listening to the kid and the guards come you know and i've see, i know that kind of how that would play out you know but it's very dreamlike even though i know glenn's based not on a, a couple of experiences he had um so this is where the dream symbols and imagery can be very similar to when we dissociate because something's too painful and we get different images of something that on their own each image wouldn't make any sense but when you start putting them all together and you, as the music you kind of go ah like in the film spellbound i spoke about that dream sequence it puts it all together where you really oh and if you haven't yet try get to see that it's, it's just really 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 good so Telegraph poles are good for climbing. Here's the lyrics of that song, right? Not all of it now. It begins with, There was a head-on collision on my front door today. One man died and another man tried to stop it. You got this great guitar going on in the background. It says, Telegraph poles are good for climbing, but 
don't touch the live wire at the tip of the barrel. Tip of the barrel. So it's got that dreamlike quality, slightly menacing. Something dangerous will happen if you touch the live wire. You know, one man's already died. Someone's been blamed in the wrong. The guards have been called. Childhood adventure, curiosity. It's all there, isn't it? You know, tip of the barrel. And you get that menacing feel that if you just touch this live wire. And you know, that feeling in dreams where you... Do you ever get that one? It's real surreal. You're in a kind of a space and everyone seems okay, but you're a f- you think, if I do that, something terrible is going to happen. <gasps> and no one knows but me. It, that song gives me that feel. Right? So it's a very, very clever song, uh, in my opinion. Very evocative. Okay, so just as I finish uh, part two of Dreams, I've covered quite a bit of Young. A few songs and a few creative non sequiturs and... Um, the jizzy whizzy guy where maybe he didn't exist maybe he's in dreamland somewhere there's a space you know who knows you know um but keep an open mind to your dreams be curious kind of interested particularly notice any strong feeling sensation that lingers you know that's when there's usually important messages important information for you you know to pay attention to um and as you'll hear me saying, the space I'm interested in is the intersection between the waking dream and the sleeping dream. It's almost like where you access that unconscious place while you're awake. You know, as I said, poets, musicians, artists do that all the time. But it can happen in our interactions. That's where deja vu happens. That's where intuition happens. That's just like, you're just, it's another worldly feeling for us for a second or two. Give access to information that doesn't go with the normal rules. How fucking exciting is that? Okay, thanks, Chair, my editor. Thank you, Red Sir, uh, for your continued support, listeners, as always. Um, so, yeah, all that will be in the bibliography at the end, song references. Um, the Young stuff, there won't be a particular book. I'll be just referencing Carl Young. The beauty with today is you can go online and pick up anything I've spoken about, you know, uh, type in Freud, type in Lacan, type in Jung, you know, the way it goes, type in anything and you get information. But uh, that'll be there. I mean, I'll, I'll mention that, the, the kind of particular things I've referenced there. Um, and I will be talking with you uh, next Sunday. Uh, hopefully around... Fritz Perls, Assagioli, uh, different types of creative therapy, dream work, uh, transpersonal spirituality, you know, that the Freudian, Lacanian, even Jungian interpretations are a bit narrow. There's a whole big area I love that we don't know about. Let's be open to that. And I think it's an area that is full of love and magic and wonder and healing and possibility. And I think this world touches heaven there. I think it's the interface between earth and heaven. Hell is when we're not there. <laughs> Isn't that right? You know, and hell can be just a mundane day, right? And hell can be an awful place where terrible things are happening in the world. I get that. But we can touch excellence. We can touch beauty. And magic we can touch heaven while we're here you know um with our feet on the ground and yeah it can be fleeting that's why being in the present moment is hugely important isn't it so we can experience the joy of that 
and know we're touching into something there's a whole sea of that awaiting us at another time anyway i hope you're enjoying the uh podcast as much as i enjoy putting them out um i will talk with you later uh r.i.p uh rest in peace melanie safka known as melanie and the wonderful Ivor brown and his family and friends just thinking of them same with melanie and even though jürgen klopp isn't dying he's leaving us there's a heavy feeling going to enjoy the rest of the season but it's 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 i remember i had it when bill shankly and I, I was quite young then finished and i had it when bob paisley left liverpool but it was nothing like this i've been down but not like this before there you go there's my little feet song it's a particular deeper feeling of loss i think klopp is an archetype of something hopeful he's a good father he's beautiful he's you know, all the Man United fans had the same when Fergie left. Fergie was a fantastic manager. I don't, you know, I know I hate Man United, but he was a wonderful manager. And I know I talked to friends of mine here and they still miss him because you make a personal connection and maybe we project good fatherly stuff onto them or, you know, but I think Jurgen Klopp uh, is the archetypal good man, good father, good friend, good, you know, he's hope for the world. He has big, huge grin. A big laugh, you know, a very attractive man, absolutely in every respect. But uh, yeah, so there's a, I know my deep loss isn't necessarily about Jorgen Klopp, the person, because I don't know him, but it's about what he represents for me. You know, I'm aware of that. Okay, I will talk with you next week. Yeah, it's been good dreaming my dreams with you. Was that Marianne Faithful? Yeah. I'll always miss dreaming my dreams with you. Very unfaithful originally. And then there's a brilliant version by the Cowboy Junkies. I'll throw that in on the uh, bibliography. So I'll always miss dreaming my dreams with you. But we'll do some more next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to contact me about the content or any question or comment you have about the podcast, you can do so on thetwilightconversations at gmail.com. So, The Twilight Conversations is an independent production. If you'd like to contribute towards the making of the podcast, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash thetwilightconversations.